Hi, I'm Lauren Good, Senior Technology Editor at The Verge, and you're listening to a special bonus episode of Too Embarrassed to Ask. It's a podcast about consumer tech. We are all about making technology easier for you to understand and use. So if you have embarrassing, burning questions about personal technology uh, that you haven't wanted to ask friends before, but you really want the answer to, please send them in. There are a couple ways to submit your questions to us. First, you can tweet them to at Recode or to me, at Lauren Good, that has an E at the end, with the hashtag too embarrassed. We also have an email address. It's too embarrassed at recode.net. And a friendly reminder, embarrassed has two R's and two S's. You can also find all of our past episodes on iTunes at iTunes.com slash too embarrassed ask. Maybe we've already answered your question. And while you're there, feel free to leave us a review because we love your reviews and we actually do read them. So if you are a fan of the show, you might be looking at your podcast player right now thinking, what day is it? Because we normally publish too embarrassed on Fridays. But the good news is that this is a bonus episode that we decided to do after getting lots of questions from you guys about the $3 billion Snap IPO. This is the company that's formerly known as Snapchat. Now it's called Snap and it filed its paperwork to go public last Thursday. So I asked Recode's Kurt Wagner to come and join me in studio to answer some of the questions that you had about the S1, which is like, hi, hi Kurt. Hi. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. I, you know, we're, we like look at each other in the office all the time and I'm like, I wonder what she's doing on the podcast. And I wonder now, what she's thinking. I wonder what she's talking about today. I'm and now I finally here. get to be involved. So yeah, this is great. Thank I'm you. really happy to have you on. And uh, you've been on the show before, right? Yeah, it's been, yeah, it's uh, been, it's a, been a while. I think we actually talked about Snapchat before. We did. If I recall. Yeah. We've talked about Snapchat a couple of times. We did a yeah. great episode with you uh, some months back. And then we did something about Snap Spectacles at the end of last year with Sean O'Kane from The yep. Verge. Um, and so this keeps coming up. And we kind of had a, we had an idea that the S1 paperwork was going to be dropping we did, yeah. uh, last week. But before we get too in the weeds about that, let's just talk about S1 paperwork, because this is something that sure. we as tech reporters, like we are really overly excited about. That's how it was exciting weird. our we, lives are. Peter Kafka and I were like sending each other YouTube clips <laughs> yesterday to get fired up before the paperwork dropped. Fired up before the S1. You have S1. to have the right mindset before you dive into some financials. Into an S1. You know? Yeah, I mean, I remember when, back in the day when I was a video producer at the Wall Street Journal, um, some friends and I were, we had plans to go to the beach or something like that. We were doing something. And one of my friends who was a reporter uh, at the Wall Street Journal was reading the Zynga S1 the at, entire at the time we were yeah he was just like diving in it was so Leisurely funny reading. and I was like yeah this is uh yeah. this is what we do but so for those who don't know what does it mean when a company files its yeah. S1 paperwork so this is basically the first time that they've publicly shared all of the information that we're used to seeing from publicly traded companies so you know Facebook and Twitter they have to report earnings every quarter. They have to tell us uh, how much they're making, how much they're losing, how many employees they have. When you're a private company, you don't have to do any of that. You basically get the freedom, if you will, to struggle or grow or build in private. When you go public, you file kind of this first look at the business. It's the S1. You file it with the Securities and Exchange Commission. And it's kind of the investor's first glance at all of those numbers that these companies have not talked about before. So that's what Snapchat unveiled on Thursday. And for those of us who cover the company, it was kind of exciting because, you know, they're relatively secretive more so than other companies. And this has been a highly anticipated IPO. So it was our first chance to really see like how well are they actually doing? Right. There have been a lot of questions around some of their metrics, I yes. think. And as with any 
private company, you know, they might raise funding uh, from venture capitalists or private equity firms. And then that sort of gives you an idea of how much the company might be worth, right. but you don't really know what they're doing numbers wise. Right. And and I think when they've been raising money at these valuations, I think the last round they raised was somewhere around $17 billion valuation. Um, depending on who you talk to, it'll fluctuate a little bit. But you know, that's $5 billion more than Twitter's worth right now on a public market, right? And so when you when you hear those numbers, you say, okay, well, if people are, you know, think that they're valued that highly, they must have user numbers or revenue numbers or something that kind of explains the confidence that investors have. So this S1 was our chance to, to kind of see what investors have been seeing behind the scenes. Yep. And um, there were some interesting, you know, some user growth, some revenue growth things that I think a lot of people would probably argue don't merit the valuation that Snapchat's already getting. But So what were your key takeaways? Yeah, we kind of had a general idea already of what their revenue would be. It was just over $400 million. Um, significance there is that the year before, in 2015, it was like $58 million. So, I mm. mean, that's almost what, eight, if I'm doing my, my simple math, almost eight times revenue jump year over year. That's pretty cool. That's, that's mm -hmm. impressive. I think the concern is that Snap has 158 million daily users, which sounds like a lot, and it is a lot, but they only added 5 million users last quarter. That was kind of a slowdown of growth, and, and it was right around the time that Instagram and Facebook really started copying a lot of the features that Snapchat has. So I think if you're a realist here or maybe a pessimist, you might say, you know, are Facebook's efforts working? Are they slowing down Snapchat before it even gets to the public markets? I think that's a valid concern. Uh, that was a little surprising. And then, um, you know, stuff again that I think we knew, but just to see it formally, Evan Spiegel, for example, he and his co-founder, Bobby Murphy, they control 88% of the voting at Snapchat. So like nothing's going to happen at Snapchat without those two mm -hmm. giving it a thumbs up. So, so there's those a, kind of a things, lot of, you know. They're retaining control. Total in control. A pretty significant way. Yeah, very similar. Like Mark Zuckerberg does that at Facebook. Uh, Larry Page and Sergey Brin do that at Google. So it's not unheard of, but it's still, you know, it's interesting to see that this trend is continuing in these, in these high-profile tech cases that one or two individuals are basically calling the shots for the long haul. Right. I mean, I, I have to say, I'm really glad that you and I, Kurt, have managed to retain 88% uh, <laughs> voting shares yes. of Vox Media. We're, yeah. we're running the show here. Yeah, basically. Kara doesn't do anything. No, Walt Kara doesn't does, do anything. Yeah, Jim Bankoff is, you know, never even he's a great guy. guy but, yeah, you know. yeah. I, <laughs> he's nice. I take your word for it. You, you should yeah. have a beer with him sometime, but yeah. no, no control. Yeah. Of no, I mean, that's, company. and then look at, that's why we get to do these podcasts because we call the shots. So <laughs> right. that's what's nice about Because it. we're in charge yeah. of this particular startup. Exactly. But, Okay, so one of the things that you just mentioned is would be identified on the S1 as a risk, right? This idea that other companies sure. are copying some of their features. If you have not sort of delved into an S1 before in the way that tech reporters do or mm -hmm. financial analysts do, then you don't see the tremendous number of risks that these companies have to identify, they have right. to put out there. And it's like literally everything. It's like in the event of this person dying, yeah. in the event of if someone else. If I trip on the sidewalk. <laughs> right, right. What were some of the significant, there was one around profitability that yes. was pretty People got dark. a little spooked by Yeah, that tell one. us about that. So I see this as snap covering its back, right, or covering its neck or whatever. It, they simply said, you know, 
we may never achieve or maintain profitability. Now, if you're an investor, that is not what you want to hear from your potential investment, right? I mean, the point of a company is to make more money than it spends and return that money back to its investors. And so to hear a company say, we might never get there, I get why people are spooked. I don't think that, you know, you don't go public with the goal of saying we're never going to be profitable. My guess is this is simply folks who are saying, hey, legally, we should say this to protect our backs, right? Like, we don't want someone to come and say, well, you never floated the idea that you might not be profitable, so I'm going to sue you or, or claim that you're misleading investors. So I think a lot of the risk factors is how I believe they're described. I think a lot of those are just simply protections for the company. Um, then again, when you talk about competition, everyone mentions competition as a risk factor, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that makes total sense. I think that's way more concerning, in my opinion, than this idea that they're never going to, you know, never going to be profitable. I think when you look at a, a Facebook and an Instagram, what they're doing, that to me is more of a risk, if you will, than this idea that Snapchat doesn't want to make money long term. Mm-hmm. I think, of course, they do. I have one more question for you before we get to yeah. our reader and listener questions. But in an article you published on Recode.net, you said that this S1 reminded you more of Twitter's yep. and Facebook's if you had to compare it to another popular social network. Why did you write that? Yeah, so uh, I believe it was mid-December. There was a story in the Wall Street Journal that said Snap's kind of message to possible investors was, hey, think of us as Facebook, not Twitter, right? That's obvious. Facebook's doing incredibly well. Twitter, not so much. So I get why they would want to convey that. But then when we saw the numbers yesterday, there were a lot more similarities between when Twitter filed its S1 back in, I believe, it was 2013 and Snap's document than Facebook's S1. And uh, a couple of them are simply a matter of scale. I mean, when Facebook went public, it was already bringing in revenues close to $4 billion annually. Uh, Snap is $400 million. I think Twitter was like 320 around there. I'm ballparking. But, uh, you know, not even in the same ballpark as Facebook. Twitter didn't bring in a profit. Snap doesn't bring in a profit. Facebook did. Twitter and Snap have almost identical employee bases. So all of those different things, to me, stand out as being much more Twitter-esque than, than Facebook-esque. And I thought it was worth mentioning simply because of their, you know, their mission here to convince people they are the next Facebook, not the next Twitter. So mm-hmm. I think one, one, if I will say one thing for Snapchat, they've only been around five years. Facebook had been around eight years when they IPO'd. So, you know, they're doing this on a much shorter timeline. I think that they could grow into those expectations, absolutely. Uh, but right now, when you just look at the numbers, I think it's it's much more Twitter than it is Facebook, which if you're an investor, that's probably not what you want to hear. Right, that is concerning. Yeah. Okay, let's get to our reader questions. And I have to give a special shout out to Alex Hardy, who he's yeah, at he had good, Can't Hardly good Wait questions. on Twitter. And he was the person who actually suggested, why don't you, why don't you guys do a special yep. episode of this just to answer some of our questions? And we said, hey, we actually do listen to you guys. So, uh, so thanks, Alex. And he wanted to know, why does Snap spend a million dollars a year on Evan Spiegel's <laughs> security? Hashtag That's a too really good question. Yeah. Um, so I... I have met Evan a few times, and I can tell you that he takes his privacy very, very seriously. Uh, Snap 
Was that before he was dating a supermodel? That was, and that was even before he was uh, not only dating, engaged yeah. to a supermodel. So I think this is a personality thing. I think Evan takes his privacy super seriously. I believe he gets chauffeured around in a black Range Rover pretty much everywhere he goes. He doesn't drive himself. Me too, to be honest. Yeah, well, I, I know you do, <laughs> but it's surprising that Evan does too. I didn't know he had the Lauren Good treatment. <laughs> Um, Clearly. So when you, train all the way. <laughs> when you look at, you know, the, the uh, personality of the CEO in this case, I think that's where these expenses come from. I couldn't break it down item for item. I don't know if he has a dozen bodyguards. I, I imagine everywhere he goes, though, he's just very hyper-conscious of who's around him, who's taking pictures of him. And as a result, he probably spends more than, uh, actually, he definitely spends more than the average person on personal security. That's but, a great irony, isn't it? Someone who is, bit, right? you know, creates an app app in which um, people are supposed to share all kinds of things with one another. Although, you know, at its core, yeah. it's about disappearing messages. So there's some element of, you know, there not being a lingering trace of right. your activities. But, but, but yeah, I mean, this whole, this whole idea is like people should be sharing things. And that is very instrumental in the growth of his company totally and, but he's a very private person it is and um snap is moving away a little bit from that super private disappearing stuff right like you can stuff exists for 24 hours now mm-hmm. and i wouldn't at all be surprised if if at some point they add um you know a feature where it exists for longer than 24 hours and that you maybe even build out a little bit of a profile for business reasons um so yes it is kind of ironic that like someone who built a messaging and, and photo sharing platform is this private but that is evan speed a million bucks there you go we'll have to see what it's going to be next year yeah or this year 2017 so alex also had another question and um i'm going to throw this in there because i thought it was a good one can you please explain how all of the voting and share classes work i actually can uh which is surprising because <laughs> i was I, I was I was like, oh, I actually understand all this stuff. Um, so there are three classes of stock. Uh, what you really need to know if you want to invest in Snapchat is that you're not going to be able to vote for anything. There, There's class A, class B, and class C. Class A is what you're going to be able to buy in the public market, and that comes with zero votes. So you can buy stock, but your voice is not going to be heard uh, in the same way that maybe it would for other companies. Um, class B has one vote per share, and that's primarily held by uh, investors, executives, people who are already inside the company who have, you know, are probably already making decisions for where Snap is going. And Class C shares are worth 10 votes per share, and the only two people who have them are Evan Spiegel and Bobby Murphy. And that is why, when we talked about earlier, them controlling, you know, 88% of the vote it's because those are the only two folks who have these special class C shares with all basically the voting power. So again, very similar to a Facebook or a Google. If you invest in Snapchat, you're essentially investing in Evan Spiegel and Bobby Murphy and hoping that those two are going to make decisions that are good for the company and good for investors because there's not really anyone else who's going to be able to stop right. anything. They not want. much else you could do. Yeah. Is there anything that could change down the line that would reduce their voting rights and maybe assign some of the rights to, to others? Yeah, I mean, they could certainly sell shares, right? Uh, so they could just simply dilute their own ownership by by cashing out. We, we, what we've seen with Facebook actually is the opposite. So Facebook recently added a new class of shares that had zero votes with the uh, sole purpose of keeping Mark Zuckerberg in control of the company. Um, so, you know, there is a possibility that they could add an additional 
share class or rearrange the voting structure of their existing share class. Maybe class B shares would get five votes instead of one in the future. Um, I'm not an expert in the sense of, I, I don't know how easy that would be. I don't know. I Again, I imagine Evan and Bobby would have to give it a thumbs up. And I'm sure that they wouldn't be eager to, you know, give other people voting power that that they would then lose. Um, so I don't think it's likely, but I think it is possible if they wanted to do that. Okay. John Caldor had a question about Evan Spiegel's bonus. Is $750 mm-hmm. million a market bonus for taking the company public? Pretty sweet, huh? I mean, not quite like ours this year. Again, <laughs> I know. These guys keep following behind the uh, Vox Media footsteps. But Clearly. this is an estimated bonus, first of all. So um, my colleague Peter Kofka had a good piece about this in, on Recode yesterday, where if Evan took the company public, uh, I believe it was just this year, he's going to get roughly 3% of the uh, company as a bonus. And at a $25 billion valuation, which again is an estimate, that's what they would love to get, doesn't mean they're going to get it, and that will fluctuate. But at a $25 billion valuation, that 3% amounts to $750 million. So we see a, uh, a clear financial incentive to kind of do this quicker versus, um, as we've seen with a lot of tech companies, drag out the private being private process, right? Like not, a, not everyone's stoked to go be scrutinized by, by no, investors. No, absolutely not. I've talked to CEOs before who have held off on IPOs for as long as possible because they say it is really not fun having to like kind of go into a room and take all your clothes off once, you know, four times a year, totally. once a quarter and say, okay, here's all the potentially bad news that, that happened this quarter and could happen in upcoming exactly. quarters. So we've seen companies drag that, that life, uh, style out as long as possible. Evan, uh, was obviously incentivized to not do that. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's hard to imagine that this didn't play into the decision, at least in some regard, if he didn't have the the incentive, would they have gone public a year from now? Perhaps. Um, we may never know. I'm, I'm, I'd love to ask him and see how much this this pushed him forward. But at the same time, you know, seven hundred fifty million, a lot of money. But the guy's going to be worth multiple billions of dollars soon. So it's not as if this is the only reason that he would want to go public. Right. Okay. Some people actually didn't send in questions, but just their thoughts on this. And this one was anonymous, but I did want to read a a portion of this, at least. It's kind of lengthy. As someone who worked in a large bank and used to read tons of analyst reports for fun, smiley face, their numbers are not flattering for several reasons. One, they show that Instagram killed their growth once they copied them. That means the biggest question for public investors, how will they grow their user base, has been answered, and the answer is that they won't. Uh, Two, massive burn rate for a company that was swimming in cash. He goes on to explain that a little bit. Uh, It does not help that Evan does not come across as likable or as being someone who cares about his team or employees. Third, having shown over five years little interest in making money. Four, they are extremely overvalued. And this is a very harsh look at Why wouldn't you want to go public? Uh, Do you you agree with any of that? I know, exactly. (laughs) When you get these kinds of uh, uh, wonderful reader comments after sharing your numbers. Yeah, I actually agree with with a couple of things. I think... um, you know, to say that the growth is on the way down, I think it's a little premature, but I do, and we, we mentioned this, I think that Facebook and Instagram 
have had an impact. And it seems clear, right? When we look at where Snap's growth was going, they were adding for the first three quarters of last year, they added an average of 15 million users. Then it got to Q4, which was right after uh, Instagram rolled out stories and Facebook was rolling out a bunch of different Snap features in its app. It only added 5 million new users, right? That's only a one quarter example. So again, it's a little bit tough to project this out too far, but I think that there's no coincidence that Facebook and Instagram are probably having an impact on on Snap's growth. So I think that is a valid concern we've seen from Twitter, what can happen when you don't grow well. Uh, people don't like to see that. The cash thing is, is also really interesting. So Snap lost more than half a billion dollars in cash in 2016. I think they lost, and I don't remember the number off the top of my head, but more than 300 million in 2015. So, what was their biggest expense? So we learned some of that. Some of that is that they're uh, using Google Cloud services, and they've promised $400 million in Google Cloud service uh, purchases over the next five years. So that's a $2 billion commitment. That's a lot of cash to, to spend for basically, um, you know, back-end infrastructure support. Otherwise, you know, the employee base is growing really quickly. Uh, they have all these deals with content partners to try and get content onto Snapchat. I'm sure that that's not cheap. I've heard that you know, because there's so much video on Snapchat, just simply like server costs and storage and all of that stuff is is also not cheap. So we don't know exactly, but but we know that they're spending way more money than they're bringing in right now. Again, it's super early. Mm-hmm. They are five years old. They just filed their IPO paperwork. So this could change over the next couple of years. But again, you know, companies are supposed to do the opposite. So I see why people like our anonymous reader are concerned. What about spectacles, the hardware? So how, that, how big of a that was described expense? as non-material non-material, to their revenue. Okay. And I'm is not that surprised. because they made so few of them? I think so. I mean, they were selling them out of vending machines. So like right. how even if they sold gosh, I can't I can't imagine they sold more than, you know, a thousand a day, which sounds mm-hmm. like a lot, but you know, a thousand a day uh, is not going to probably move the needle for a company that's making or has aspirations to make more than a billion dollars in revenue. So, and those are expensive to make too, right? Hardware is not cheap. You know this way better than I do. To to keep things on schedule and and, right. and keep them affordable and actually get them in the hands of Maintain consumers. Quality and make sure they work. Yeah, and they're not. They don't have exploding batteries and all kinds right. of things. Right. That is a um, that is a very tough business. And so I don't know if that's going to be Snapchat's core. I think it was a cool product. I think it was a trendy marketing stunt, if you will. But I'd be shocked if spectacles are are like you know, a core feature of their revenue in, if, the, in the near future. If you had to guess, and we'll make this our last question sure. for this bonus episode, if you had to guess uh, a way in which Snapchat might diversify their product lineup in hmm. 2017, yep. maybe the next 18 months, what do you think that might be? How so, are they going to make more money? Yeah. So we know that they talked with the Lily Drone company that just recently shut down. So there was at least some interest in the idea of having additional hardware, right? Like a selfie drone or a, a video drone that that you could then upload stuff directly to Snapchat. I'm obviously speculating here because that deal didn't end up getting done, but we know they're interested in more hardware, so that's one option. I think the other and, and probably more realistic uh, option for them is to get deeper into the media world. So to say, you know, they have a Discover section right now where a bunch of publishers uh, will create stuff specifically for Snapchat. Mm-hmm. They'll sell ads against it. That's great. Including Vox.com. Including Vox.com. Yeah. So I think that if you push that uh, mission out a little bit and say, well, what if we're not just doing news content, but we're actually doing 
a television show, right? Or uh, a movie or a music video. I think those are all areas that Evan is probably interested in. He's super media focused. A lot of their board members are involved in media. So I think we might see them evolve more so it's not just a you know place for you and me to send photos, but actually a destination for us to go be entertained uh, beyond what we can do right now. Right, so, and if you think about their core, you know, a large part of their user base are, what, 18 to 24-year-olds in the yeah. 18 to 24 demographic. And so think about just media consumption habits of that target audience. Right. You know, they're not going to think twice about watching an entire TV show on their phones versus maybe some people of a different, you know, media consumption generation who say, like, well, no, it has to be on my TV screen, right? Sure. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. And we're seeing that with Facebook, too, right now. They're mm-hmm. saying... We they want might to get, have a TV app. Possibly. Yeah, we want to get way more mm-hmm. video, and we want people to watch that video on phones. And I think Snapchat has the audience to actually succeed at doing that. So I bet we'll see uh, a lot more. I would imagine we'll see a lot more of that moving forward. Kurt, this has been great. This is great. Thank you. Thank you for we having me. We should do more me. of these bonuses. You know how to find me. I know because we just we face each other. And yeah, stare at each other in the newsroom all day and long. Just and... walk past you to get dried mangoes from the uh, snack bar. <laughs> I thought you were walking by to say hi. Uh, it's okay. It's just it's all about the LaCroix two for and the dried one. mangoes. <laughs> two, two for one. This has been another great episode of Too Embarrassed to Ask. And Kurt, thank you again for joining. And he's Kurt Wagner 8 on Twitter. That's right. Thank Is you. Is that correct? I think yep. I sometimes still tweet at the wrong Kurt Wagner. But right. whoever you are out there, sorry. Hope you're enjoying our tweets. If you all enjoyed this bonus episode as much as we did, be sure to subscribe to the show. And you can leave us a review at iTunes.com slash Too Embarrassed to Ask. If you do that, you'll be the first to listen to new episodes every Friday. Or you can catch up on previous episodes where we answer all of your burning tech questions and if you missed our regularly scheduled podcast from this past friday we taped a really great episode with cnn's brian stelter about the phenomenon of fake news how to spot fake news online what are the responsibilities of social media companies that are distributing all of this news and whether or not fake news will ever go away so it's a really good episode i encourage you to check it out if you're at all interested in that topic if you happen to not be on iTunes, you can also subscribe on Google Play Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or just go to recode.net slash podcast and find all of our stuff there. We have a bunch of stuff on Recode Podcasts. We have Recode Decode with Kara Swisher, my co-host, uh, Recode Replay. We have Recode Media with Peter Kafka, uh, or I think he's also talked to some Snapchat folks, or about Snapchat at least. Uh, the Verge also has some great podcasts for your listening pleasure. Walt Mossberg and Eli Patel host Control Walt Lee, and Eli also usually hosts the Vergecast. So don't forget, tweet your questions ahead of time to at Recode with the hashtag Too Embarrassed or you can email them to Too Embarrassed at Recode.net. Thanks for listening to this bonus episode. Thanks also to Digital Media, the company that distributes the show. We'll be back next week to answer more of the questions you've been too embarrassed to ask.